0: Some of those mistakes were loaning money to friends. Some of those mistakes were investing in early, small, little companies. And some of those mistakes were trying to trade the market to make quick money. They were all driven by emotions.
1: Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. Thank you for joining that mission today. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest Paul Merriman. Paul, are you ready to join the mission?
0: I am on the mission. I'm right with you, Andrew. Thank you.
1: Yes, in fact, that's the great thing about what you're doing is that, you know, you are on a mission and I want everybody in the audience to know about that mission and and to take advantage of what you're bringing to the world. So let me introduce you to the audience. Paul is a nationally recognized authority on mutual funds, index indexing, and asset allocation. After retiring in 2012, from Merriman Wealth Management, which he founded in 1983, Paul created the Merriman Financial Education Foundation, dedicated to providing investors of all ages with free information and tools to make better investment decisions. Paul is the author of eight books, including We're Talking Millions, 12 Simple Ways to Supercharge Your Retirement. At his website, paulmerriman.com, he provides over 700 articles, podcasts, and videos, plus recommended mutual funds and best-in-class ETF portfolios at Vanguard, Fidelity, and Schwab. Paul, take a minute and tell us about the unique value that you are bringing to this wonderful world.
0: Well, I think the the most important thing we do is to give the do-it-yourself investor the tools that they need we got to remember that a do-it-yourself investor is in essence taking on the responsibility of being the professional investment advisor, but they only have one client, and that client is themselves. And you and I both know that the emotions of this whole process are a difficult wrestling match when you're wrestling with yourself, and we're trying to give them that information that they can put their portfolios on automatic with the right amount of equity, the right amount of fixed income, all the important steps that any paid investment advisor would need to know in order to help you. And if we can do that, we not only got them, but we got their kids and their grandkids. So it is a mission. We do start at the college level and we do go all the way through retirement in every way that we
1: can to help these folks take better control. It's a great way of putting it about being an advisor to ourselves. But it reminded me of the movie Liar Liar with Jim Carrey, where he says, Allow myself to introduce myself. <laughs> and and that allow myself <sighs> to advise wow. myself. And I think that one of the first things that I've learned from being in the financial markets is it's a it's a roller coaster. And one mm-hmm. of the things that I did many, many years ago, even as a sell-side analyst, and my job is to be on that roller coaster, is I, I worked really hard to try to detach myself from that. And nowadays, when I help my clients, part of what I help my clients with is not being on the roller coaster ride, because I know that my clients are on a roller coaster of emotion. And I'm just curious, just that point about how you help yourself when you know it's an emotional. You know, roller coaster, what is it that works? Is it your, you've got your steps, you've got frameworks, you've got, you know, structures. What helps someone in that situation?
0: Well, at the end of the day, if folks have unrealistic expectations, they're not likely going to be successful. I mean, we have got to learn in life the difference between the courtship, the honeymoon, and reality. And what is that reality about investing? And you talked about it, it's the roller coaster. So we do a couple of things for folks. We show them the historical returns, not just of an equity asset class or not a bunch of asset classes together, but how do they look with a certain amount of fixed income? And we build tables that show how much you would have made but then the important part that I think you're talking about is how much did you have to be willing to lose along the way in order to stay the course? And if you can't stay the course, you are going to fail. And so I sometimes think that, I, that I'm going to fail when I die. If I haven't left enough information for others to use, all of this hard work is going to be for naught because it's got to go on way beyond me.
1: Well, and that's what's so admirable about what you're doing. You know, I think a lot of people that were in the industry just enjoy their, you know, they, they retire and then they, you know, they fiddle around and you're not fiddling around. Maybe we just, I want to talk about, we're talking millions because it's, first of all, it's such a great title, but maybe you can tell the audience, you know, what they could get from this book and tell them where they can get it. I'll have links in the show notes, but maybe we start with that.
0: Well, where you can get it is at paulmerriman.com because we want you, we don't want you to go to Amazon and buy the book. You can. And if you do, the royalties will go to our foundation. That's great. Mm. But I am way more interested in you getting your hands on that free PDF so that when you're done reading that book, you're going to pass it on to your kids and in your friends and people at the office. We do not make a penny. The book. In fact, the people who put it together. None of us are paid for the services that we provide. But at the end of the day, that we're talking millions, which sounds like we're overselling this book. It is not overselling this book, because each and every one of those twelve decisions, and they're all simple, and they're mostly controllable. But I mean, you can't control the market. But there's so much you can control that that. Each of those 12 should add a million dollars to your life, what you spend, what you leave to others. That's the way it's supposed to work, but you've got to know the territory in order to figure out, because remember, there's a whole industry that is based on you not getting an education. (laughs) So if we can help you get that education, in fact, I noticed you've had Larry Swedro on your show a number of times. Yep. He is what I call a truth teller. I've got a whole list of truth tellers. You've got Bill Bernstein that you're going to work with in the future, yep. another truth teller. Not only do I want to teach you how I think you should see investing and learn these 12 things, but I want to turn you loose on truth tellers that carry it beyond although I could outlive Bill Bernstein,
1: it's possible. But, (laughs) you know, somebody's got to carry this on. And these folks, these folks are good. Yeah. Well, I love that on on your website where you have the truth tellers and you, you know, list them out. And I think that ultimately as a young person, when I started listening and reading what these guys were saying, it really helped me to set, you know, simplicity and all that. And the other thing that I've really learned too is just the fact that, I used to get confused like stocks, bonds, commodities, gold, and all that. But now I'm very clear. Ultimately, it's companies in the form of stocks that have the best growth profile over the longest period of time. And therefore, if we use bonds, if we use commodities, if we use gold, we're using those as something that brings some benefit to the core, which is... The growth potential of the stocks. I'm just curious, how do you see, you know, like one of your points, you know, you talk about stocks versus bonds and, you know, all that. I'm just curious how you see it for someone that, let's say, is, is a pretty much a beginner listening to this.
0: Well, in fact, those are the most important listeners that I have because they have an asset that you and I would like to have, and that's called time. <laughs> and so that means they can actually take advantage of this, uh, the impact of. Of compounding. And the first thing that I'm trying to teach these young people is forget about investing itself. Understand the math of making money. Understand the implication of making an extra one half of 1% a year over a lifetime. And once you see how easy it is to make an extra half a percent, well, how about another half a percent? Because here's the bottom line for every half a percent that we can make over whatever that base return is going to be, that's probably going to lead to a $1 to $2 million extra money over your lifetime. Now, if that's true, and I can show you a bunch of ways to make an extra half a percent, we're talking about a lot of potential returns. But what if there was just one decision that you made that would not give you one half percent advantage, but 10 Half percent advantages in one decision. Well, you just mentioned the decision, do I invest in bonds or do I invest in stocks? And the beauty of what we have, at least based on history, and that's all we have to go on, Mm. is bonds over the last 95 years have made about 5% a year. Now, some much less because they're less risky, some maybe a little more because they're more risky, but 5% is kind of the base Whereas the S&P 500, the large, the the well-known kinds of companies have compounded at 10 Mm. on average. Well, if that's true, there's there's your 10, one half percents between 10 and five. You're talking about the potential of another $10 million over a lifetime. And I'm not talking about somebody who's putting away a whole bunch of money every year. I'm talking about people who are putting away maybe five, $6,000 into a retirement plan at their work or some sort of a government retirement plan, it can be done. And the, and the beauty is that the academics, not Wall Street, the academics have shown us clearly what the steps are that we need to take in order to not just pick up that extra 5% between bonds and stocks, But how about if there were some kinds of stocks that did better than 10%, that you could Hmm. add a little? You wouldn't have to add a lot, but you could add a little to your portfolio to push that return up maybe another half or maybe even another 1%. These are all things that are known to the academic community. They are known to Wall Street, but also Wall Street is not going to go out of their way to tell you how to
1: act in your best interest. Mm-hmm. There's one thing that I've many years ago, I don't know, maybe it was 15 years ago, whenever that was, we started to survey clients in the world of finance. And we would ask them, are you high risk, low risk, moderate risk? And there was these behavioral tests and guys that came up with these great behavioral tests of trying to understand. And then the result of that is that we would say okay you're low risk therefore we're going to reduce your equity exposure and increase your bond portfolio exposure because we know that if time gets tough and the markets collapse you're the person that's going to basically sell at the bottom and you're a high risk person therefore we're going to have a higher level of exposure to equity and you know all that made sense to me at the time but now when I look at that I think in fact I would argue that most people now who are signing those things, it's not to protect the individual, it's to protect the institution. Perfect, absolutely. And the reality, go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, the other point I was just gonna say is that what they appear to be saving you from, they're causing you, like there are no solutions, only trade-offs. I believe it was Thomas Sowell that said that. And the point is, is that they're exposing you to shortfall risk. Because that means, okay, that my money is going to compound at a lower rate yeah. because you said I'm low risk and all that. And now instead of having the million that I need when I'm 60, I'm going to have 450,000. But nobody's going to like deal with that now. That's going to be dealt with in 20 or 30 years. And so they're blameless when it comes to shifting someone into that. And that's you know what, what I'm seeing. But yeah, tell me what your thoughts are on that.
0: Well I think the other part of that and I think you're right on in that conclusion but the other part is that they also know that when the market goes down they're going to lose the client because they didn't educate the client.
1: Mm.
0: The problem is that and it's a challenge for people that are in this industry. If you educate them the first thing you tell them is not only that stocks are better than bonds and a thousand stocks are better than one stock and a number of things that will lead them eventually to the low expenses are better than high expenses. And the most direct path to higher rates of return are lower expenses. Well, all of a sudden, you're in the realm of index funds. How much profit is there in the the financial community in index funds? Almost nothing. And yet it is the very products that people really need to own because they have more diversification, that's a plus, because strangely enough to to the way a lot of people believe, more stocks are likely to make you more money than a few stocks are going to make you more money. I mean, the academics have shown that clearly. So there's a big advantage. Then you also have low turnover. So there's not a, all of the, the buying and selling going on inside the portfolio. Another plus for you as the investor. And, and this is, I don't, I don't know of any broker who has ever sent their clients the SPIVA report. S-P-I-V-A. What is this report that Standard & Poor's comes out with every six months? And in that report, and it's just so juicy, in that report, it shows what percentage of actively managed funds were able to beat their benchmark over the last year, 5, 10, 15, and 20. And by the time you get out to 20, It's about one out of 20 actively managed funds has outperformed the index itself. So if I'm an investor and you tell me that we are going to try to find the best actively managed funds, first of all, do you have a way to pick them? And Mm -hmm. the industry's honest answer would be, we have no idea because you, we know Bill Miller was the best of the bunch for mm. 15 years, and the money just piled in and into his leg-mason value trust mutual fund. But then he was the worst for a decade after he attracted billions and billions of dollars. No, the odds are so in favor of the individual investor using index funds. Plus, by the way, as you know, Once you have a fund that has 500 or 1,000 or 5,000 companies, you don't have to spend any time thinking about, do I need to fire the advisor because he or she doesn't know what they're doing? No, that's taken care of. Mm. So I don't think Wall Street is going to go out of their way to really show people the best way to take care of their money.
1: I'm going to include a link to that site. I'm looking at it right now, and I'm just showing in the U.S. in the past 10 years, 92 point, let's say 92% of funds underperform the S&P. And I know I have listeners in Australia also. This shows that about 81% of funds underperform, and in Japan, about 82% underperform in the past 10 years and in india about 70% underperform now i noticed one of the things that you can see is that maybe the more developed the market is the harder it is to outperform europe is at about 90% so these are great yeah. statistics for us to understand you know what's going on there it's not just you know you coming out and saying hey you know most people are underperforming no it is right there in black and white
0: well, let me just add one thing cuz you're going when you start digging into that Andrew, you're going to love that report because they also show the returns of indexes and then they show the average return of the actively managed funds <laughs> over the last
1: 20 years. Now, this is an incredible number for everybody listening to think about. I I haven't seen what their calculation is, but I've read some academic research on it, but what's the finding that you've seen?
0: Now, there are really, we have to remember, there are two important findings that we can't forget. One is the average is about 2% less per year, 2% less. I'm talking about a half a percent adding a million or $2 million to your fortune to either spend mm-hmm. or leave to others. And we're talking 2% trying to find the, and how do we know if we're going to be better and than just, ever? Just
1: to clarify, that means that if the market, went up by 10%, and you tried to get market exposure, and let's say you could get that at 9.8% or 9.9% in a good index fund, you're actually going to have a return more like 7.9% or so, let's just say roughly 8%, which actually is low. The number I remember was 5%, but let's just say 2%, and I suspect that's all because of bad timing of buying high and selling low is that correct
0: well there are a number of things by the way that 5% you're talking about i think is the dalbar study yeah and that's the return that the individual investors get so they buy substandard mutual funds and then they try to time them and get an even lower compound rate of return but here's the other number that we got to remember we have to remember that child who drowned walking across a river whose average depth was 2 feet. now we know that if 10 and by the way mm-hmm. the uh, over the last 15 20 years the s&p 500 was about 10.9 or some such number but that 2% less than that as an average means a whole bunch of people made lower numbers than the 8% And so how do you know that you're not? Why would you take any chance of being down in the bottom half of that study when you can just buy an index fund and immediately you are amongst one of the winners? And when I came into this industry in 1966, everything was built not to take advantage of the investor, but today, thanks to John Bogle and a whole bunch of other really great people, we have a chance because we can put money away in mm. investments that compound tax deferred. I didn't have that possibility yeah. when I started in the 60s. You have indexes, you have ETFs, you have target date funds for crying out loud. And by the way, I got to tell you, I don't know whether your listeners are using target date funds, but The Wharton School did a study, uh, along with Vanguard, of 1.2 million investors in these company retirement plans. They found that people that just used a simple target date fund, which does everything for you for the rest of your life, you don't ever have to make a decision. All they want to know is, when do you want to retire? And then they do it. On the other hand, they looked at all the people that didn't have any target date funds in their portfolio. Their portfolios were built to make 2.3% a year less. Wow. So here's this opportunity. And the reason I I know this is important, I I teach college university students Mm. and I have a class that our foundation supports. And I go there once every quarter and teach for a couple of hours. Most of these young people do not want to come out of college and be stock jockeys. Mm. Most of them want to go to work to make a living. And as far as saving, they would really have somebody else do it for them. And of course, the target date fund is exactly what so many of those people need. Mm. What we try to show them. Of course, we want to make it better for them. We show them how to just, and it's in the book, we're talking millions, the last half of the book, how you just put a little bit of small cap value in that portfolio. Because those target date funds don't have any of that of consequence. And if you do it right, man, it's at least an extra half to 1% a year over a lifetime.
1: Yeah, great advice. And it's kind of rules-based, but even better than rules-based, it's rules-based done for you, target funds. Before we get into the the big question of this podcast, I just want to tell you the story, given the, the title of your book, how I created five millionaires. Great. So when I was building up in my career and understanding finance, teaching finance. One of my sisters passed away and she had three daughters. And as I watched them grow, you know, I thought about the challenge of not having, you know, a mother and and all of that. And they had a great father. And my other sister has two daughters and she was divorced. So it was, you know, they were both my sisters, you know, had it tough in some ways. And I thought to myself, what could I give to my nieces that would you know be of value? And I thought I know so much about investing. What could I do to help? So when my first niece graduated high school, I went to the bank here in Thailand and got three thousand dollars, put it in my pocket, jumped on an airplane, and went to her high school graduation. And after graduation, I sat down and I said, "Here's my gift: three thousand dollars in cash. But you can't have it. We're going to open up a Vanguard account, and we're going to put it in, you know, the VT fund." And invested globally. And as each of my nieces graduated, I flew back to America with that same three thousand, set up their accounts. So I got all three of my nieces started at the age of eighteen. Now none of them are interested in the stock market, so they wouldn't never have done that themselves. And so by the time I was done with all of them, I was pretty felt pretty good about myself. But here's the kicker to the story: actually, I failed. And the reason why I failed, Paul, was because I really couldn't, somehow I didn't convey to them that they need to contribute every month. And Gosh. therefore, though that 3,000 has been compounding over the years, and I told them mm-hmm. basically, I told him, look, my advice to you is buy and never sell. Buy this one instrument that owns every stock in the world, never sell it and I'll guarantee you, you'll be richer than almost anybody else that you know out there. But that one thing of getting them to contribute. And then I talked to one of my nieces and she's like, yeah, you know, at work, they have this and that. And then I was talking to my friends. So I, you know, I decided to put some of my extra money in some tech and some this and that. And I just thought I really failed.
0: You know, I have a feeling, I love what you tried to do. And if you go under best advice, on my website. At the bottom is advice for basically children and what parents and grandparents can do. If you just put away $365 a year, in fact, if you want to, if you want to do some work, picture this, a newborn child gets $365. An account is open they don't qualify for any kind of a Roth IRA or 401k or something but they they can have an account and you put that money in an asset class that has a history of returning 12% plus percent over return over 95 years mm. now it's academic it's hypothetical but it comes out of the academic community it's the work of of Fama and French so what you do is you tag that for when they're 70 years old. And the account is only for that $365. And if that account gets a 12% compound rate of return, and in the US that can be tax-free because it can Mm -hmm. be in a Roth as soon as the child qualifies, that will be worth a million dollars at age 70. Now, they got a problem because they learn how to live on a million dollars for a year. By the way, if the amount was 10% a year, it would be more like about 500000 mm. But what you do when they're two years old or, or a year later, you give them another $365. Pretty soon, it's starting to sound like $3,000 yep. that you put in. And what you will be able to show them when they're older is look what happened to each one of these investments. We kept each one of these separate and we don't want, now we do this for our grandkids. When mm-hmm. our grandkids are born, we immediately give them a $10,000. That's what we're going to leave them $10,000. But it's there to fund their, their retirement investments. And we got the problem, and you do too. They can go out and spend that money if they want to. I mean, that's the killer is when you yeah. find out you've given money and then they blew it on something that gave them a quick m- amount of enjoyment. But there are these steps we can take as parents or grandparents to build a partnership with that little tiny investor, because they're going to grow up, and then you hand them a copy of We're Talking Millions. Yep. It'll have to be revised, of course.
1: Mm.
0: So, But anyway, yep. and we, by the way, we even have that plan.
1: I guess I should have said to my nieces, the good news is I'm going to give you a million dollars for graduating from high school. That's it. The bad news is you can't collect it until you're 70. That's it.
0: That's the right message. Absolutely. Uh Thank you.
1: Yes. Thank you. And uh, I think, you know, the sad thing is that we could solve so many of these problems with politicians and with what's going on in society by basically setting up these types of accounts for young people when they're born that guarantees their education or guarantees the ability to pay for a house or guarantees their retirement. But unfortunately, most people aren't thinking about those things in the way that you are.
0: Well, and we're all working on this, Andrew. Here in the United States, there is a fellow by the name of Tim Ranzetta. Tim Ranzetta is on a mission, just as you and mm-hmm. I and you know, I'm. We're we're all trying to help. He is developing free financial literacy curriculum and making it available, and not only making it available free to the schools, but he does all of the teaching of the teachers. He will even give money to a school district if they will install these programs. He is writing the check himself to underwrite this program, and his mission is every state in the United States will require a semester of personal finance before they can graduate from high school
1: and well, I'm at looking Western, I'm, look, I'm looking at the website right now mission 2030 by 2030 all US high schoolers will be guaranteed to take at least one semester long personal finance course before graduation
0: and guess who just gave him 100 million dollars michael jordan's foundation to help support this Now, and what we are we're a little tiny foundation but what we have next week it will be announced that our foundation is going to be underwriting a program at a university here in the state of Washington, that every student will be required before graduation at Western Washington University to have a course that will take care of the important financial topics that these young people are going to face. Because you and I both know, Apple, Google, Amazon, they know better how to get us to spend than we do know how to save. <laughs> and boy, we need some help educating these young people. So that's a major part of what I do.
1: Yeah. And I'm teaching in the top university here in Thailand, Chula Longkorn University. I'm teaching a class in ethics and finance to every oh. ethics both every master's in finance and also undergrad finance student it's a 15 hour class where i go over the cfa code of ethics and try to help them understand ethics in finance
0: that is terrific i'd be anxious to hear what the students have said about that after they've taken it you they must want to make water. some money
1: no no just kidding
0: <laughs> <laughs> i will tell you we got a lot of work to do and you're going to find a lot of people that have a heart for trying to help. Yeah, And we got to do what we can to get it together,
1: okay? Yes. So let's now turn ourselves to the, the topic of the day. And yeah. that is my question, which is now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstance leading up to it and then tell us your story. Well,
0: I have have a bunch of those and they all look alike. And the reason they all look alike, even though some of those mistakes were in the commodities market, some of those mistakes were loaning money to friends, some of those mistakes were investing in early, small, little companies, and some of those mistakes were trying to trade the market to make quick money. Mm -hmm. They were all driven by emotions. And boy, it was not until I got the emotion out of that process. That I started to get the money to truly grow and to realize that the great success in this process is time. I mean, that's all it takes, is an intelligent decision on day one. We want to help in that regard. And then to let it go, because there is history that proves that has worked for a hundred plus years having said that you and i both have to warn people it can get ugly but at least when it gets ugly i have no question in my mind it is eventually because i'm investing in this and i think we have my wife and i have 12000 stocks in our portfolio mm. and we're half in bonds you know we're i'm almost 80 so we're more conservative but the bottom line is i have no question that it is likely, highly likely to work for the rest of my life. I cannot say that about the commodity trades, the little companies, the people I loan money to. So we've got a, and it's young people who this happens to. And they are the very ones who have the greatest possibility in terms of leverage. And it's one of the things that you'll see in that book, the first five years of what the money you put away can theoretically, represent 40% of the value of your portfolio over
1: the long term. What you do when you are young is golden. So my big takeaway from that is the focus on time. And I wrote a book called How to Start Building Your Wealth, Investing in the Stock Market. And I gave some seminars in Thailand when I was developing the material, kind of like a comedian. I go out and test my material. And I had a group of people in there and I had some young people in there. And, you know, I had people raise your hand, like who's the youngest in the room. And then I was able to highlight like the advantage that this person had, which of course they're sitting there thinking they have a disadvantage because they don't know everything that these people, but I said they have an advantage. But it invariably happened at the break that a 55 year old guy would come and see me. He says, Andrew, I get what you're saying about time. I just have to admit that I didn't pay attention and I didn't save much. And so now I realize I'm going to retire in five or 10 years. And they always ask me the same way. Can you tell me the fast way to make money? Yes. Yes. (laughs) And the answer is there is none. That's right. And that's That's where, you know, if you don't get it right at a young age, time, time runs out and then you don't have the ability to actually get that compounding effect
0: well and what people end up doing is hoping they can work forever and sadly the studies show that too many people due to disabilities or family challenges aren't able to work forever and i will tell you the one thing that's disappointing to me is that there is one group that is so unbelievably easy to impress and to educate and to get them to hold up their hand to say, you know, amen, brother. Yes, I get it. And that is engineers. Engineers are slam dunk. Last year, I spoke to 154 honors engineering students at Rutgers online. Mm. And the information I got back from those young people, they all got it. They understood follow the math. And the sooner we can get them to follow the math and then understand how investing works, we got them, we can help them. But remember, the enemy is always gonna be working their job as well. So, you know, we gotta defend the fort and that's what education is about. And thank you for what you're doing.
1: Yeah. So let's just wrap up by, first, let's just, for the listeners out there, What's the first step that they should do in engaging with your content and all that you have? Is it the book? Is it the website? Is it a, what, what would you suggest?
0: Two things. The book, I think, would be a great step. There are actually three books that are free, or actually six mm-hmm. books that are free on the site, but we're talking millions is the one I think to start with. But then I want you to go to the homepage and go to what is called camp. And when you go to boot camp, it is going to take you to some topics, and each one of those topics will teach you the very most important things you need to know, like how much do you need in bonds, or what equity asset classes should I have, or how do I take money out of my investments in retirement? Mm. Then you go to those topics, and in there will be an article, a podcast, a video, and a whole bunch of tables. Mm. And so if you will just spend a couple of, maybe three hours with each one of those eight different topics, you are going to have most of what you need to know.
1: Mm. Bootcamp, I'm looking at right now. Ultimate buy and hold strategy, sound investing portfolios, risk and return history, fine tuning your asset allocation. It's all there, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm going to have a link in the show notes for that. Last question. What is your number one goal for the next 12 months?
0: Oh, the next 12 months. Well, I'm turning 80 in just a couple of weeks. My first goal is to get this new program at Western Washington University up and running. That's a really big deal. By the way, it even includes educating the parents. I mean, but think of that. Not only educating the students, but the parents. That is a goal. And and of course, mm-hmm. every year we update all of our tables. We update all of That's the amazing. tables on an basis. That's the first basis. thing I thought of
1: when I saw all that.
0: Yeah. 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 And I would like to get a million of those we're talking million PDFs in the hands of investors. If I can do that, I will sleep easy. And as you, I think you know, I'm a early riser between three and four in the morning. So sleeping easy is not the easiest thing for old people
1: sometimes. Well, we have that same habit. I was up at three this morning, and uh, I had someone that wanted to have an eight o'clock meeting tonight, and I'm I'm going to do it. But boy, oh. I can't, can't guarantee I'm going to be awake. Uh, uh, that's great. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. Remember. I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. As we conclude, Paul, I want to thank you again for joining our mission. And on behalf of Dots Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into oh. your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for our vast audience?
0: Well, I just want them to know that the payoff for getting a good, it doesn't even have to be great, a good education is the the biggest return you are ever going to get. So find yourself some good teachers.
1: And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well, fellow risk takers. Let's celebrate that today, we added one more person to our mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott saying, I'll see you on the upside.